Hi and welcome to another episode of my XL podcast. This one was recorded a good while ago with an old friend and we sat down and talked about his journey through music. I thought now would be a good time to release it as I'm going down to Liverpool to catch up with him and play a gig alongside Cyanide, X-Ray, Kendall, Lee Downey and Dream Frequency. Here's DJ Trixie's Journey Through Music. XL Podcast. This is the XL Podcast and my guest for this chat is DJ Trix. Trix, whereabouts in the world are you right now? Um, I live in a place called Heswell, which is on the Wirral, Merseyside. So we're like a peninsula between Liverpool and North Wales and we're connected to Cheshire. Everything good? Oh, yes. Where I live is lovely. I, I can be anywhere within 15 minutes. I can be in Liverpool, Chester, all the airports. There's Manchester and Liverpool. I can be in North Wales up a hill in half an hour. So it's it's one of these lovely little places where you can kind of dip in and out and then come home and be away from it all. So it's uh, be away from all the madness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, on these podcasts, mate, like, I, like I've spoke to you before, is, is basically just talking about your journey through music sort of thing, right? And, and, and we'll start, obviously, at the start where all good stories... Um, start I imagine sort of thing you know and, and and for anybody who's like wondering what's what's going on here I mean like I've told you before you're d- definitely one of my favourite DJs for like back in the day you know technically and the tunes that you were playing so even for me chatting to you you know although we've chatted loads it's mm. just it'll just be good to, to hear about the story of how you got into things and you know highs and lows and stuff like that yeah, so the chats you have in a, in a in a tent at the back of a festival tends to be a little bit more when, when you're chatting at the back of a back of a tent at a festival it tends to be a little bit more random yeah you yeah know, I know story it's normally just jumping up and down and um, looking for the bar <laughs> so, well, we're, we're more relaxed we're at home and all that so it's yeah. all good okay cool so like going right back to the start was music always in the family or what was your first kind of introductions to music um. I, I was um, I was a geek. I was a proper anything that was new and gadgety and electronic. Um, I, I was born in '68, so I was coming growing up through the '70s and the '80s, and it was all digital watches and home computers. Yeah, and that's what I got into initially. Um, that was the thing I focused on. But then, obviously, with all of that came all the synthesizers. So you had Depeche Mode, and you had Kraftwerk, and you had all of that, and that's where I just took off. It was it was it was a bit nuts, you know. It was like all this amazing stuff that was happening in that era. Um, the mu- the way the music changed from being it was just drums and guitar and bands and whatever else, and then all of a sudden there was this uh, this no- these noises and stuff that was just ear catching. So I um, that's how I got into music. It just it, it niggled my ear listening to this amazing electronic music. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously the synth explosion, but just I'm picking up on what you said there about digital watches and all that. And yeah. I, I actually remember when they sort of came, I mean, that's how mad it is. You know, like any young listener listens, probably thinking fucking digital watch, what they're talking about. But that oh, was mate, a mate. thing when they came out, wasn't it? Oh, mate, I, re- I, we used to, I can remember 
only having three channels on the telly. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was there before Channel 4, you know, and, and the telly, you had to tune it in with a big knob and it was black and white. Yeah. I mean, the best one, snooker on a Saturday in black, in black and white. <laughs> Think about that. And it happened. The guy was explaining to you, I see the ball there on the left, up a bit from the other one. Yeah. Oh, so, and convincing uh, yourself you could see the colours in black and white. Well, anything that was anything that came out like that, to like I remember like TV games, ping pong or whatever, yeah, yeah. Pong on your telly. And think about what you've got now with Xboxes and stuff. It was that was the start of it, and you, it was when when you don't have that, and then you have it. It's more exciting than when you're halfway through the progression of TV, you know, consoles or uh, yeah. digital watches or phones or whatever it is. It was to have it when it was the first thing that came out. It's just like wow. I know. I think our generation is probably the last generation that's had no technology to technology, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I think, I don't know if you feel the same, I'm like AI, Martians landing, I'm prepared for any of it because we've kind of came from nothing to all this technology. So like nothing really surprises you anymore. But you can do that with technology, great. It's just kind of like, of course you can. Well, well, Star Trek has stood there, and, and now we've got iPhones, and they're, they're you know, they're, other than getting beamed up, which I'm sure will be happening soon. Yeah, it, 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 everything that's happened in the past, all the way that it, you know, it was kind of explained what was going to happen, especially with phones. I mean, look at the the phone you've got now, what you can do on it. I, I know it's my, frightening. My dad, I show me, I try and show me, Dad. I'm like, Dad, we can Facetime my friends in New Zealand if we want. And he was like, Well, how how do they know you're there? And all, you know, it was. It's it's astonishing what we can do, and kids today are just like, da 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 da. Yeah, all over it, accepting it. So, um, yeah, it's been, yeah, like you say, it's a, it was it was an exciting era to be involved in, and yeah. I've not seen. Maybe it's because I'm old, but I've not seen something that's come along, whether it be music or culture or a, a dance craze or something. They're all just little progressions now. Yeah. And I think I think the, the way the world is because it's so open with the internet, it's very hard to have an explosion of something because it's all once it's out, it's it's out and it's you know diluted. Uh, whereas years ago, like the punk, it was bubbling away there underground for years and years and years, and then it exploded. And uh, that's what made the big the big hoo ha about whatever yeah. it was. You know, guess- like that hip hop and stuff like that. It's just. I guess you're right, the kind of shelf life of new fashions, music and all that's much shorter now. Whereas before, like yeah. you said, it was bubbling under, it was starting in certain parts of the country or the world and then seeping into other places as people found out about it. You, but, you, if, you, if you did a gig on Saturday night now, the whole planet knows, don't they? Yeah. Literally the whole planet. With it. You can see it live half the time. So, whereas years ago... You know, the, the only thing that would happen, I can remember this thing, when I used to go into the DJ competitions, it was like a Bible to get the record mirror. James Hamilton, who was uh, the guy that came around and followed all the, the competitions, was a brilliant journalist. But, and he'd do the write-up on the DMC competitions in record mirror. And you had to wait till the end of the month for that to come out. Yeah. You know, so you, you'd be in this competition, you'd won it or you hadn't won it or whatever it was, but you wanted to see what had gone on. And you and that that was the feedback. Whereas now it's like, well, you get home and everybody knows what's happening. Yeah, it's instant. But yeah. see, like when, like you're saying, like synth explosion and all that, and that's really you know your first kind of exciting about music. Mm. 
before that, was there anything else that was kind of going on? Because a lot of other DJs now that I speak to, there was also like, it wasn't so much a gang thing. You know, we spoke about it before as well. There was, there was maybe skateboarding or BMXing or breakdancing. Is that going on at the same time or is this later from when you discovered that, music? No, yeah, no, that was obviously later. In, 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 I mean, the skateboarding was around that era wasn't it in the 70s and that but in the 80s I got into BMXs yeah. um, and I mean I still love those I think you do as well you know, we yeah. have this passion for those funny little bikes and it's it was, it was you know what was brilliant seeing it all at the Olympics um, so it, that yeah kind of the music changed when hip hop arrived and was, was and that was that the first kind of music that you thought was your music or was you earlier influenced by like the synth or when did you start I, buying records? It was the, the electronic music that I got into was the obvious stuff. It was the Human League and and all yeah. of that. I just it, it was everywhere, and it it wasn't an influence. It wasn't a, when when uh, what's his name Malcolm McLaren brought Buffalo Girls out when that video came on. That was the change. That was like wait there, what the hell is this? Yeah, and it was different to electronic music at that time. It wasn't synths and stuff. It was all chopped up and scratched and whatever. And that's again one of these things that was so fresh and bang, there you go. Never seen this before, have you? And and it was exciting. And I got hooked on that. I think a lot of people did. They either wanted to spin on your head or scratch records, and that's that was it. Um, and it was uh, it, that was a, a real turn. But remembering at the same time, or literally a year or two after, house music started to seep in. And here's this dancey music that used kind of hip hop beats, some of them. Um, and that was using the synths and there was sampling stuff. And yeah. so um, I was like this kind of hip house, they used to call it, didn't it? It was the yeah, comedy yeah. hip hop and house. And the, the, so I, you could have explained me as, as hip house because I love both. So you know, when was both. your first set of decks? Or did you, did you tamper with actually getting synthesizers or did you, was it the Malcolm McLaren thing that made you think, I want a set of decks or was it hip hop? Yeah. Or when yeah, are you yeah, getting your was, decks? It was, it was, well, it was a combination of being a geek when I was younger and being into electronics. And I used to actually want to build my own uh, mobile disco so I had the Tandy catalogue when it first came out and I'd sit there and I'd, I'd, I'd write it all up and I'd you know how I was going to do it and do the circuit diagrams and everything I never built it but that's where I would thrive off and I used to stalk the fellas in Tandy be walking around looking for stuff um, so it, it was yeah I suppose <sighs> what kind of era would that have been yeah so that was really early that was when I was uh, before a teenager, I wanted to kind of do that. So when Malcolm McCarran came out with this twin deck where he was doing something different with the music, uh, that's when I was like, I've got to get some of these record players just to either DJ, just to play music, but I just, I've seen the scratching thing. So it was that. I had my first pair of decks was a pair of Fisher. Um, they were belt drive and they had very speed, but it wasn't like very it's speed. No pitch control. It was, it was just anything and but I, I took the I took the rubber mats off it and I put some pieces of paper on it to scratch on and it got me going um, and then I ended up getting a job in a in a hi-fi shop which I loved and there was one of the lads there that does was into American radio 
and he used to do his own American radio shows and they were brilliant. So, I, you know, like an era where it's one of the only proper jobs I had and I loved it there. It was brilliant. And while I was there, I was able to get a pair of Technics turntables uh, for trade price. So I think I got my before, before you go into your Techniques... And yeah. you try to mix records and scratch records in the house with oh. your Fisher decks, yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, no, I did that. I was doing. I was already doing that. I had a Phonic uh, MRT60 mixer, um, and yeah, I was putting mixes together and doing tapes and giving them to my mates. Yeah. And then also there was like burger bars, local burger bars that were late night burger bars, and I'd say to the lads, "Yeah, I have some tapes for you." And they used to play them in the burger bars. Um, so everybody was hearing this stuff. I knew. It might sound nuts, but I knew exactly what to do with a pair of Technics before I'd even got them. Before you got them. I, do you think that's because of your time on the Fisher decks? Uh, it was a, yeah, I suppose it was, but I hadn't touched the Technics, and, but I knew what it would feel like. I knew that the torque would be instant and yeah. they were stable and they were solid and they were big. I mean, even getting things like, you know, back in the day, I remember I had, I had friends that were like hip-hop DJs and stuff and, you know, getting the, the the grease paper and all that for under your slip mats, that was a big game-changer for them. When did you did you start getting picking up these tricks kind of thing? Was there a scene building where you were growing up and what kind of music well, was getting played? That not not really. Well, in Liverpool there was a, quite a bit and then I, I ended up getting my first gig from um, a guy called Deza, and Deza's half of the bassheads. That's right, yeah. Um, so Deza was Deza was one of the local DJs at a club uh, nearby in Birkenhead called Atmosphere, and it was just Atmosphere was just a normal disc, what you call a disco. So it's, you'd start off with a warm up, he'd play some chart music. We had a slowy section. You know what I mean? It was that kind <laughs> the erection of that, section. That, that, the erection <laughs> section, yeah. But it was all of that. Um, but what Desert also did was he was obviously her, he loved his soul and funk. Um, but obviously with, with house music appearing and hip hop, um, he started doing a night on a Monday called the Deaf House. So, um, and what he would do is he'd have all these record guys come up from London. They had Soul to Soul on. I think Soul to Soul paid them to do a PA. That's, you know, wow. before they were even, it was, they had all kinds of people on. And, I thought I want to. This is perfect for me. Here I am scratching hip hop and house music, and he's doing a night doing that. So, a mate of mine's dad had one of the sooty vans, you know, the little Suzuki vans. Yeah, yeah. Right, he was an antiques dealer, so he used to drive around in this little sooty van picking up antiques. So, my mate got his dad's van, and we drove down to Birkenhead to pick up Desert because Desert couldn't drive. We threw Desert in the back of the sooty van. And we drove him up to my mum and dad's house, right? It must have looked like we were abducting him. So we literally plonked him in uh, my bedroom, sat him on the bed. I DJ for 10 minutes and he says, can you do the next deaf house? And that was it. And no. from there on in, I got the, I did a few of the deaf houses. I ended up getting a resident, well, not a residency. I was the warm up DJ in atmosphere on the Fridays and Saturdays. And some weeks I'd end up picking up glasses and yeah. helping. You know, I just got involved in that little club, and it was it was a great little learning place for me. But I think that's that's part of the magic in it. It's like, you know, like you're saying, you're picking up glasses. You're just doing anything to be in the kind of scene that you love. You know, it's it's, it's almost like your driving force, your passion in it. You just want to be playing records, and you'll do anything within reason to get to do records you know whether it being taking your techniques to the club or you know everything and anything to get that gig in it well mate they, they have flashing lights and 
lighting controllers. Yeah. And so it just, okay, pick up some glasses, Mike, and then you can go and play about with the Pulsar lighting controller. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these things are worth thousands. There's Technics in the club. There was a Formula Sound mixer. It was like... What, what year's what, this, Mike? And what kind I, of stuff was you playing? 85, 86. Um, right. So it was it was the obvious hip hop stuff of the era. So it was like Public Enemy and Eric B and Rakeem and all Amazing of that. Amazing thing then, for music, wasn't it? Yeah. And then, and then obviously I can remember getting Steve Silk Hurley, Jackie Body. Um, oh, I remember, get, I remember it was it Jeff Young. Remember, was it Jeff Young used to do the Radio 1? It, was it Jeff Young? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he was before, before Pete Tong and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, he was. He's before Pete Tong, and he used to do it. And he played. I'm sure it was him that played it. Um, Jackie Body. And I thought I'm going to have to have that. And I found this shop in Newton Le Willows called Hot Wax, right? And it was run by a guy called um, Kev Edwards. And I rang him up because everyone says you got if you want imports or anything like that. Kev Edwards, Newton Le Willows Hot Wax. So I rang him up, and he says, "Yeah, I'll get the order." That I ended up just sending Kev Edwards um, postal orders because obviously I was too young to have checkbooks and all of that. So I'd send him postal orders of money and he just sent me music back. I didn't know what I was buying. I'd say yeah. things like Jackie Body and all the rest of it. But um, he would just send me a load of stuff. And for some, uh, how he did it, mate, he just, every record was like, this is brilliant. Um, so he, he plied me with house music and uh, that's what really got me hooked. It's yeah. just, I mean, at the time you're DJing, you're playing hip hop, hip house. Can you can you see a sea change in the crowd that's coming? Do you see dance music coming into things and taking over hip hop? Because there was definitely a fork in the road. One, people went hip hop, or they went house music after the initial explosion. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's it, it fragmented pretty quickly with, especially with the dance music side of it. Um, and remembering, I could, the rest of the nights, this, this, the night I was doing, the, the special night, the Deaf House night, was on a Monday night. So the Thursday, Friday, Saturday was still a disco. So you, that kind of slowly came in. And what I noticed in the disco was the people were becoming more casual with their wear and the way that they were. And they were asking for the music that was on the Monday. But they were asking for everything. And quite rightly, like you say there, then it started to split a bit and hip hop became more hip hop and house yeah. music became its own its own kind of thing was there a was there a sort of I don't know if you were ever like mad for your football and all that but, but was there ever a sort of football casual element in the clubs and all that as well or I just think that was happening elsewhere that it was it was um, it was too smart initially in the club the, the, when it was a disco you had to turn up with a shirt on and a suit shoes and all that yeah, it was it was very much like that. It, it didn't get to t-shirts and footy tops for years. Uh -huh. Not in the not in the clubs I was in anyway. Um, it was obviously elsewhere that, that that was happening. That was more in the bars, to be fair. Yeah. Um, but at that at that era, no, there was a lot of people actually dressing up to go out. It made it was like a special occasion, uh -huh. which seems to have changed a bit. So your Monday nights are sort of. Uh, you're, what you're mixing from hip house to, to house music mm. when when do you start doing all it or, or is that happening at the same time you're, you know you're cutting and scratching and then like the DMCs and stuff how does that come about well it's at that time it was just I was competing or I started competing in what was it 86 or 87 I think it was 87 
I started competing in them. So it was that era. So I had the support of that club. It was really good, actually. So all the locals would travel if I had to kind of bus somewhere to go into a competition. There'd be a busload of them turn up. And it was brilliant. It, yeah, it was really, really cool nice. Support. To have that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I kind of did that until obviously I won. I kind of got a couple of UK finals. I think I got a third and a second or whatever. And then one year, it was 89, we competed. And at the time, it was Americans winning the DMC World Championship all the time. It was like mm-hmm. this run of, of DJ Cheese and it was um, Cash Money, who was ama- amazing. It was yeah. all these kind of cool DJs. So they did, and I think it was a, also a financial thing, they started doing a European Championship. And that was held, um, so what, sorry, go back. So anyone that had competed in a DMC competition around the world and got to their final, so a UK finals, uh, Swedish final, French final, as long as it was within Europe, um, you could compete then. You were then relevant to go into the European Championship, um, So which, which obviously I won that one. And that's when it all, I just took off then. I just, that was, that was me away. I mean, how's how's that coming about? I know, like, how how are you even finding it? Is this like in music magazines, or is it somebody saying, "Hey, you want to get into some of that? You want to give that a shot?" And also, how's how's the name come about? How'd you get a DJ name? Well, a DJ name was from breakdancing. Uh, I, I just it's thought of a name, and it was tricks. I used to body pop. I used to love body popping, so yeah. for some reason, just the name that stuck. Did you not um, tell me some story about who used to carry your Lionel? Oh, um, um, what's his name? He's, he's, um, it was on the telly this morning. I've forgotten his name. Um, he, he, you know what? He lived in Mel's. Oh, mate, let me think of his name. Fuck. I've forgotten his name. The famous actor. Yeah, he's James Bond, but he's just about to do it. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't know this, mate. And it, you know when you kind of go, oh, it was him that used to carry the lino for us, right? Yeah. Um, I was chatting to a mate of mine. He says, "Yeah, yeah, I don't remember him." Um, but then Daniel another, Craig, isn't it? Yeah, that, so Daniel Craig. <laughs> Henry Bell School, which is like five minutes down the road here, um, and he yeah, he used to go into my mate's wine shop right at Christmas to get his mum and dad wine, and he's got pictures of him there with him. He's oh yeah, so. It was bizarre when somebody reminds you, kind of go, do you remember him? He's like, yeah, the fellow that used to call her the line. It's Daniel Craig. And you go, ah. That's mad, then, you know, when you, you know, anyway, yeah. So he used to uh, carry the line around when we went to Birkenhead or sometimes to Liverpool. It was like a little breakdancing crew of people. Yeah. And I can't remember him that well, but I, but I remember there was a lad that did. The, 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 this is the best one. People like Dave Seaman, who was the, the you know the, the progressive house DJ, he used to work for DMC, and he was the guy that used to go to the chippy and get the dinners for you. It's just well, it's nuts, yeah. you know, all the people that have come from this and and uh, kind of taken it and run. Yeah. Um, the minute I t- the minute I t- when you told me that, I was like, no way. And then I've told yeah. that story a few times, and people are just like, no, no, fuck off, no way. And I'm, well, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling yeah, you. I, I was showing my son the other day because there was a thing on our local Facebook. There's like a local Facebook thing for the Wirral and one for Heswell and one for Cold. You know, the local whatever. Yeah. And they're like, here's local boy Daniel Craig in the his things like Coldy or Henry Mel's school rugby team. 
And there he is, sat at the front, you know, with a squidged up face and all the rest. There was all kinds of personalities around here. Because like, uh, Christmas, you'd always see Paul McCartney because his, his mum and dad used to, when they were alive, live in Lower Heswell, where I live. So they'd come here for every Christmas. And I can remember as a kid, and everyone was like, ooh, it's Paul McCartney. I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> But it was, I li- I, where I live is a bit it's, it's, it's a bit of a posh placement so it's football players and um, okay and, and celebrity types I was here when it was just big houses you know it was, uh, <laughs> so you've got the name DJ Tricks you're, you're yeah. doing the DMCs so I just had to take a jump in and ask you about that then yeah. so how how did the is it just people at the club saying mate you want to get into this DMC and all that kind of stuff and a bit, a bit of that um like I said before, you'd, I'd look at Record Mirror. That was like the DJ Bible. Um, and I'd just seen the competitions in there. I and the DMCs were fucking massive, you know. Like, yeah. well, you, can't, you can't really put any words, really, or can't do it justice how huge these things yeah. were. When, when I first got involved with it, I like to put it like this. It was called Disco. It's Disco Mix Club. And it was it was called Disco Mix Club and they had the old logo. And the change was when it all, when I kind of got involved and it became a bit more hip hop. Yeah. Then it became like this DMC, even though it's the same, same thing. Um, it was massive then, but what they did, the competitions were in clubs on the club equipment. So it was very much DJ mixing and with a bit of scratching. But you do a couple of running mixes and whatever and it wasn't what you'd see today um, it's obviously progressed into that slowly but surely um, and then gone to be honest with you it's gone a little bit geeky bit too mm-hmm. bit too anal in, in some respects but it's it's. I love watching some of the guys now um, yeah but even when you were doing it it was a showmanship and all that kind of stuff and the tricks and it's a performance. You're doing a yep. performance with with somebody somebody else's music, and that's that's yeah, that's what it was. What's the kind of nerves going into something like that at such a young age? You know, obviously, it was it '89 that you won it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I never got nervous. I don't get nervous at stuff like that. Um, I, not really. I was more anxious to get on and do it. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's the same as you when you want to do a show and you're ready to go on. You you you're biting at the bit to go on aren't yeah, you? yeah let's like, get us done wait to get on and do this and that's that's how I felt I did have um, a, a lady I knew who was one of these psychotherapists and she gave me a little mantra that I used and that worked if I was ever feeling a little bit overwhelmed but I tended to kind of whenever I was in a competition keep myself to myself out the way and when they say okay you're on now I'd run in and do my thing and then come out of it again and it was the same in clubs you know mm-hmm. I, I like I like to do the thing and then come out I didn't really watch the rest of them yeah or mess about partying too much or whatever kind of thing not, not at that time no no that, that, that did so happen. just to kind of talk about the, you know winning it how did that feel you know how much work did you put into your set what kind of crowd was there watching how, how did that come about um well, it, it was at the DM. Uh, it was at, sorry, at BCM in Mallorca. It was their okay. opening year. Even flat. I mean, nineteen eighty nine. A young yeah. kid flying over there to do a DJ. That's just mind blowing yeah. shit, isn't it? Well, the, three weeks later was even nuttier. But so you're at the BCM. It's their opening year. That right? was a massive club of stuff, isn't it? 
it, it had the it had the late the multicolored laser show, all the gear. It it had if you were in there at that time, it was Italians all suited. Um, the dancers were these that like these mad fellas, all kind of makeuped up with fans. It was absolutely incredible. It was none of this kind of you know these t-shirts that you get that kind of turn into a, a, a twizzy when you wash them once with cans of beer in your hat that seems to be in there now there was none of that it was a really swanky to go to place and yep. they had this DJ competition on. and I think some of me tells me that half the DMC staff were like we could do with a holiday every two weeks here and that's, and that's what they were doing they were just flying out to New York and having a ball and then going home but um no, it wasn't. I had quite a bit of support there. There was a few people flew over for the final. Um, and again, it was very much on my own. I went over and kind of stayed on my own until I did my bit. So I just enjoyed Mallorca and um, ran on, did my little bit and then went and hid away again. What kind of tracks was you mixing in your, in your set? Oh, Public Enemy, 900 Number, Eric B and Rakeem, Halna Fish, it was all... You could probably people. put the set together now, couldn't you, just through memory? Yeah, yeah I, I can do that kind of stuff with my eyes shut. I did it so much. I used to send my poor mum around the twist pra- practising. Yeah, okay. It's time, it's time. It was just constant, you know, so my poor mum, you just hear it, will you turn it down kind of thing? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it was... It was uh, not not too nervous. I used to enjoy the competitions. I used to thrive off them. And I used to, like I say, just keep myself, didn't look at anyone else, so it didn't affect me. You haven't even watched any other competitors? I, I've, you know what, even when I... I don't listen to many other DJs, and I found that that's helped me because I've always just done my own thing and picked music that I've kind of thought, that gets me, and not thought or not listen to anybody else thinking oh yeah. that's, that was massive for him um, there were certain things that you'd do you, you can't miss you know what somebody was doing with you know certain tricks but I, I always found that the best way to be was to be original and to to not do it and I didn't yeah. enjoy if I watched somebody else it would put me off if I'd have thought of something like that you know the trick so yeah. obviously there's only so much you can do with two records at once and there's you know the trickery Um and it, 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 if I seen somebody else doing something, I'd feel a bit like, oh God, that, I thought that was mine. Uh-huh. But, you know, great minds think alike in that kind of situation. Yeah. So, I mean, you've won that. You've went abroad, won this competition. What's it like coming home? Is is, is that just somebody switched the light on? Is it things changing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I borrowed, I haven't asked my parents for, to borrow any money off them um, until then. And I said to my mum and dad, can you loan me £200? So I've got some spends when I go to Mallorca. I had to go over. I think I split it. You know, I must have split like 70 quid each time I went. I spent, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't spending much. Well, you're going over quite, what, was it not just once? What, you're going back and forth? Yeah, to, yeah, for yeah. So there, was, there, was, there was a couple of heats and then there was the semifinals and then there was the, the final. And so we were all getting flown over. It was a great ball, you know, there's a crowd of DJs kind of hanging out in Mallorca, having a bit of a giggle. Um, so I... I when I won it, I won a, a cup and bits and bobs, and um, I won a grand. That was the prize. So when I came home, I left the cup on the kitchen table at my mum and dad's with the two hundred quid round <laughs> it. So they, yes. so they, they, they'd lent me, and because they were on holiday, I'd come home. They'd actually gone on their holidays, and so that. And then, literally two days later, I was back on a plane shooting off. So I was really proud 
that was the proudest thing was to go thanks for lending me the money yeah. here it is all back by the way look look at what I did and I'm sorry about the racket you've had to put up with mum for the yeah. last five years but I've kind of achieved something from it it's hard, it's hard for my parents to understand what I was doing for most kind of adults if you started scratching oh board, yeah it's just time, alien isn't it yeah, yeah they were just like what the hell are you doing but then they're seeing a cup and you're winning a prize and all that and then it all starts to kind of make sense doesn't it yeah, yeah. It was that was the first time I kind of. I don't think they, they still don't guess an awful lot of what I've done. Um, they just knew I was enjoying myself, and I think that was that was what was kind of that kept them kind of happy. Yeah, um, and they obviously slowly see money coming in from what I was doing, so it wasn't. It wasn't well, that's what I was going to say. So, like, you've won, you've came home, you were saying you're away again. Are you, are you got a job at this time, or is or is music oh, becoming no, your full time? I gave up work literally the month before the DMC Europeans. I thought I'm going to go for this. I, I, I yeah. mean, I was, I wasn't. I'm not good in working with other people. Uh, I like to kind of do things on my own, and yeah. So I kind of sacked work and DJed. Um, I was living at home with my mum and dad, so finances weren't too much. You know, I was going yeah. to give mum and dad some keep and stuff, but it wasn't. I wasn't renting my own place or none of yeah. that nonsense. Um, when I came home from that, it was pretty much straight away. Okay, now we need you to do a European tour, um, which was all of the European countries that had competed, and then um, so we were all over the place. I I hooked up with a like a rapper, a mate of mine called L Double, and so we did these shows where he would front it, and I'd be scratching at the back. And then every now and then we had a couple of mates that were dancers, and they'd come and do a little show. It was kind of cool. So I did. We did the European tour with DMC and then some of those countries would ask us back and say, can you come and do some more shows? So some of the shows, mate, I was turning up. I remember once Wilfred DeBase, who runs DMC France, says, we've got, we got a show for you. Um, it's in a place called Bercy in Paris. And Bercy's a bit like Wembley. It's huge. It's this huge, big, where you, you have concerts on, you know. Um, yeah. And we were like, okay, yeah. We thought we'd be in a little side room, mate. We thought we just so we pulled into this place, mate. You know when you drive into somewhere and you drive in, and yeah, I've, I've driven in here. And that's how big it was. And and it was it, what it was was it was a world record attempt at, at the world's biggest disco, right? So they turned Bercy into a disco, but it was just a load of acts on. It's live on. Was it was it NTL? Is that the French telly? Yeah, I think so. It's French or German or something, isn't it? Yeah, it was on one of these things live. And the lineup was people like Sydney Youngblood, uh, Adiva, Technotronic, um, Dr. Baker, and then before us was Bross. Right? <laughs> so, so, so I, I, I'm there going okay well we have Bross to warm up for us but obviously Bross was the end act and we were like the, okay is everyone going home now listen to these guys while we're walking <laughs> so we, but mate we went out there Lee thought I'm going to learn a bit of French here you know I'm live on the telly we've got to at least say hello in French <laughs> whatever he learns was completely wrong so he runs out there mate in front of I think it was 25,000 people grabs the microphone and translated said come on Paris make some arm he just, <laughs> <laughs> just got it completely wrong and the whole of them were just looking at him anyway we, we 
we got away with it and we had some fun doing them shows. Uh, but, but mate, some of the others. Oh, I could w- waffle on all night about the DMC tours and the different countries and what we got up to. Oh, it's incredible. Were, were you getting a wage doing that as well, Mike? Were they giving you a wage to go and do the gig and all that? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, all the shows we were getting paid for. Brilliant. Um, and obviously I wasn't really spending much money. We were just getting flown around everywhere. So I was taking the money home and and um, and saving up a little bit. You're getting loads of record promos sent to your house and all that as well yeah. at this point, I'd well, imagine. Was, well, at the time, you'll remember, mate, you had to fill in all the forms to let them know what they Facts and back and all that oh, shit. Oh, God, yeah. And you were just like, you, you, you couldn't say, oh, this is shite, because then they wouldn't send you any more records. So you'd <laughs> just lie on all of them, didn't you? Just to say, oh, fantastic. Great. Like Club reaction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but... Instead of, you know, every now and then I'd be an honest, I'd be like, this is just dross. And you kind of go, well, I didn't like you sending me stuff anyway. <laughs> <You know? laughs> which, is, which is stupid. You kind of think if you wanted feedback on a track, if you send a promo out, you don't want everyone saying it's great. You print up 10,000 of them and nobody buys it. Yeah. You, 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 I think I, but you're right. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of weird position where you don't want to bite the hand that Fiji has and giving you all these free promos yeah. but at the same time you don't want to be lying and saying it's brilliant when you know it's not but yeah. we've all been guilty of that innit like great reaction never even played it it's never even been out of the box <laughs> well I know lads that used to just turn up at the record shop and say do you want all of these just yeah. you know, flog yeah, the sell, sell their promos to the record shop or whatever yeah. they were just like I'm not going to play it yeah uh, mad I mean right so like, I mean it, when you're doing all the DMC I, I, I don't know if you knew that you're doing as much touring with the DMC but then obviously yeah. it makes sense doesn't it you're you're doing all that I mean is it predominantly like hip hop music or are you putting a bit of hip house in there or for, for, for the DMC it was just hip hop and beats I'd, I'd throw some house music in I used to try and include different types of music and I used to try and include music that um, was really obvious. I used Black Box Ride on Time quite a few times, and you kind of think that's a bit kind of cheesy. But when you're manipulating music that everybody understands what it normally sounds like, and you do something clever with it, then they can appreciate it. Yeah. Where a lot of the, the scratch guys are doing stuff with just beats that you don't understand anyway. So you don't, unless you know what he's doing, you, it doesn't sound any different. It just it sounds really good, but you can't hear this cleverness that he's doing because you can't recognise the music it was always good to use something that was familiar that's a brilliant way of putting it you know and and even just as you're describing that to me you know for somebody who does it like ah, that's 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 a nail on the head for, for, that's a brilliant way to get your message across of what you're doing when you're mixing up like a big track that somebody knows and I never even thought about that until you said that there just totally well, makes sense there's a guy funny enough the guy I was talking to on the phone before we started with you is a guy called Rasp and Rasp competes in the competitions now, and he does it. I mean, he uses obvious hip-hop tracks, so it's still in, in the genre of the music that he would be doing anyway, but he'll use a track that everybody knows, and it was, a, it was, it was more... The whole crowd would get into it, whereas a lot of these competitions now, that, like I said before, they get a bit kind of chin-scratchy guys where they're all kind of dissecting it yeah. which, is bri- which is brilliant but you know if, you've, if you brought all these this crowd along they want to be entertained and it's really good to do that with with music that you're at least a bit more familiar with you know and how did you on so you're doing the tour you're getting 
gigs back home as well and, and is there another do you have to enter the, the championship the following year and all that is there pressure yeah. on you to do that I did do it I didn't I think I came third in it um, and I was a bit miffed with myself because I, I was literally touring and touring and touring and I didn't have time to actually go home and work out new a new set so I was doing I was constantly doing stuff but I didn't have a set properly you know that was all arranged that I'd practice like I had the you know for the yeah. for the actual competition um but to be honest with you I'd I'd got involved with Vestax by then and that had taken me even further afield so I was kind of I knew what I was going to be involved in there I, I, I so what you're there official DJ or working alongside Vestax Mixer well I that the, the like I said to you before, after doing the tour from DMC, when I first came back, I looked in this magazine and there was an advert for Vestax. It was the first ever advert for them. Uh, Vestax came from Vestafire, which is a guitar pedal brand from Japan. So they started making these mixers. Um, and they had one mixer on this I'm sure it's like a half page of a magazine and there was there was a load of mixers but they were built like tanks you could see they were well built and at the time we were using a Gemini MX2200 which was a real piece of shit mixer but the layout was perfect the layout was what you'd see on a scratch mixer now which is just the two faders the cross fader and your cue and that was it there was nothing else to clutter it up the shape was right it was perfect between two turntables and they had one mixer uh, Vestax on this little advert and it was called an 05 Mark II and it was tiny it had an absolutely minute crossfader and then uh, the input faders were really long and they were slightly off centre um, so there were certain elements of this mixer that were amazing the size of it this amazing little tiny crossfader and it, it kind of emulated the, the Gemini whereas it was very basic but this thing looked like it was built like a tank, you know, mm-hmm. and it was. So here I am as the European champion thinking I'll be a bit of a cocky bugger. And I rang up Vestax and I, I spoke to the guy who, was, who started it in the UK called Rob Peck. And I just said, I am the new European champion. Do you want to sponsor me? And so Rob said, well, no, I don't want to, we won't sponsor you. But he says, because uh, I said, because I'd really like one of your little mixes. He says, well, what we'll do is as the European champion, can you review the mixer for us for, for a magazine and you can keep the mixer. And I thought, well, that's, that's better than nothing, you know? Yeah. So I did that and I gave an honest review. There was, like I said, there were certain elements that were absolutely brilliant and there were certain bits that were absolute garbage. Um, and so he just says to me, oh, well, that's brilliant. Can you do some demos for us? So yeah, no problem. Two weeks later, I'm on a plane to Tokyo. Fuck! To go and do, mate, to go and do this. So exactly. So What's this? 1990 or what? Or 89? Literally, yeah, literally the, the start of 1990. So I, I'd say two months before, mate, I'm borrowing 200 quid off my mum and dad. And this time, here I am flying off to Tokyo. <laughs> mate, I get there. Flying into the future. Oh, well, you've, you've been to Japan, haven't you? It is it is Amazing. exactly what you think. You know, when you kind of go, wow, there's gadgets and this, that. Yeah. And, and it's and it's better than that. And I got there, and this was just mind-blowing. So they said, we've got a gig at a record shop in Tokyo. 
So I was like, okay. So I turn up. There's two cardboard cutouts of me, life-size cardboard cutouts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you got to, you got to, but if you put it into perspective, you got to go. Who what? <laughs> I couldn't get my head around it. So then, there we are doing that. I do this show. They said, okay, right, we're going to go and do a show called uh, Tokyo to London. I was thinking, what is it? He says, oh, it's uh, Japanese TV. So we turn up at this TV show. I'm apparently the first ever scratch DJ on Japanese telly. And wow. I'm doing this show. There's three comedians. I'd love to find out what their names are. And they're just nuts. They're these Japanese guys. And they're just, it's a bit like um, hitting each other over the head with pans right. and all that. Three Stooges kind of thing. Like that. That It's the Japanese. They're on. And apparently they're huge. And then I did this this <laughs> I did this show on Japanese telly. I had an interpreter called Willie, who was this guy who was from an American army base, who obviously spoke Japanese. He had this huge big lump in the middle of his forehead. And whenever he spoke to me, mate, you know when you kind of like moly, 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 <laughs> you know that kind of oh I could just I could just see I could just see Willie's little bump on his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, you know, so when I watch back on this, I'll try and find the the uh, the show for you. I've got I had it on VHS and yeah. whatever I transferred, but you'll see me just stare. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was the start of it going nuts because I was involved with this manufacturer who was fresh and new, and I just hit the nail on the head and jumped into bed with them at the perfect the time. right time. Yeah, just the yeah. stars aligned. Yeah, yeah, I. So was you I mixing came, live and all that on these TV shows and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so vinyl, me, me and vinyl and a, and, and a needle. That was it, you know, it was, it was. I mean, there was a few skips and jumps and that, but uh, what, one thing you did learn when you were doing that kind of stuff at that level in that era was something skips and jumps. You kind of turn it into part of the show. Mm. I've taken the needle off the wrong record. I think every DJ's done that at some <laughs> point, right? And so I took, you know, if I ever did that, I'd kind of look at my watch put the needle back on and carry on and, you know, just kind of add a little bit. Yeah. So we did, but then my involvement with Vestax got quite deep. I um, I came home from, from Japan and obviously I had this little mixer and all the flaws and the faults that I thought, I thought, well, I'm going to draw this. My dad um, worked in a drawing office. So obviously nowadays it's CAD design. It was just full of draftsmen, this thing, and it was just all drawing boards and stuff. So at home at my dad's, there was always like a little drawing board and all the protractors and all the gear. So I measured this mixer I had at home. So they measured the, the size of it and the size of the faders and all the knobs and all the buttons and everything like that. And I drew the mixer that I thought would be perfect. And it had the little tiny cross fader still that the original 05 that I'd seen had. But then the input faders I put in the perfect position above the crossfader. And I says to them, could those be little tiny faders as well? And so you could, so on this mixer, you could have either tiny little 25 mil input faders and crossfader, or you could have full length ones. So you could take the faders out, yeah. and put new ones in and chop and change it. So if you were a DJ that liked the full length of the fader, happy days, if you were doing more, kind of deck-to-deck -deck stuff, you might just want this tiny fader, which was more like a switch, uh -huh. you know, between them. And so I did that. I added another thing, which was like uh, putting a headphone socket at the back, because at the time we were doing a lot of body tricks in the competitions. Um, and I even put the Vestax logo on this mixer and put my, initial, uh, my 
uh, tag on it. I signed it and put, I even wrote a tricks version, made it look as if it was my mixer as a bit of a whatever. Gave it to Rob Peck. So there's an idea for a mixer. So that's I just sorry for interrupting, but that's for me hearing that story. That's amazing, right? And and is that's kind of a jump all along from the young kid who was drawing his deck set up. I, I was a geek. I was and, a geek, mate. I was just I, yeah. It's just coming together, isn't it? Yeah, and that's his yeah. why. It, it was it was full circle. It was like okay, I, I, please. I wasn't I wasn't giving them this mixer to say go make that. It was a, here's an idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. What well, a total kind of innocent, like if I had, if I could do a mixer, that's exactly what I'd do with that mixer yeah, kind of thing. That's, that's what I'd like. That's a dream if, if, if you could do it. So a few months later, I'm doing, he says, can we go to Orlando to do a, it was a, uh, like a NAM show. They have a, they have a show in LA each year, which is the tra- big trade music show called NAM. I'm sure it was like a winter NAM and it was held in Orlando on International Drive at the Exhibition Centre. And at the time, it was the, the Hyatt Hotel, which is there now. It used to be called the Peabody, and they had ducks. It was, it was a bit nuts. They had, the logo was ducks, and they used to have these ducks in the hotel that would come down and swim in the paddling pool or whatever. Anyway, we're staying at this, this hotel, and Rob Peck says to me, um, Mr. Shino's arrived tonight. He's the, he's the owner of Vestax. Um, he's got something for you in his room. Go up and see him. I just thought, wait there a minute. I've like never that? met this boy. I've never met this boy. Seventies <laughs> top of the pops horror stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you know Japanese people, you'll know if they say something like that, you're going to get a gift of some sort. Yeah. Like they, they turn up with suitcases just full of gifts. That's what they do. Every time they fly somewhere, they'll bring you a, a gift. Ah, it's okay. um, anyway, so I get up there. And there's Mr. Shino, meet him, he's lovely, blah, blah, blah. So he pulls out this box out of his suitcase, and it's the same box as he sent me, which was PMC 05 Mark II. But you know one of them kind of rubber stamps? Mm It just had a T next to it, this big T. I was like, okay, what's that? And he said, you open it like that. I opened it, mate, and the mixer that I drew on my dad's drawing board at home was made in front of me. I must have blew your mind. I was just like, this is insane. My signature, everything. What you see, When you see a Trix, the 05 Trix mixer that I made, that's what I drew. I didn't, you know, it, it's exactly it. To scale, wow. everything. Was that, and I was just absolutely blown away. No, there was no DJs at the time had their name on anything. No. You know, it was like, it was, this is crackers. And the good thing was, it was a bloody good mixer. You might, You must have just felt like, Fuck it, I'm, I've made it here. What I don't know. I mean, what's going through your head? What age are you and what's going through your head? Uh, well, what would that be in 1990, maybe 91, 90? I was about 21, 22. Wow. I was just, it was a dream, mate. It was just, it was, you've gone from touring all these countries over to Japan. Here's your, here's your own mixer. And uh, absolutely gobsmacked. Um, I remember coming home and feeling a bit surreal with it. I wanted yeah. to show somebody. And my friend owned a clothes shop in Liverpool. So I just went into the shop and said, look at this. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was a bit busy at the time. So he didn't, you know, when you kind of, he's like, oh, that's great, that, Mike. Uh, I've just got to go and serve a customer. And he was like, do you not know what that is? Kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's sunk in over time. But so then I got involved with um, Vestax, not only designing 
bits of equipment or advising on bits of equipment. But obviously, I was doing a lot of demos for them. Um, what would the demo uh, involve? What you're just taking certain new mixers and. Yeah, we do. well, we go we go to all the shops or we go to a show and and trade shows with the, oh, some of the trade shows we went to, mate. God, there's uh, one called Sib and it was in Rimini in Italy. And we flew into whatever the airport is near Venice and we went into Venice for the day. So there's a load of DJ fellas. So Venice with a load of fellas isn't the one, you know. Yeah, so there's no romance here. Drove down to Rimini and we did this trade show in Rimini. I could make this, even the stories here for Rimini. I I was doing shows in the day, so you'd you'd kind of do a little scratch demo once an hour for ten minutes and you'd come back and do it again. Um, I met this fella in there. He was there. He was he must have been sixty odd. His girlfriend looked about twenty. It was one of those. You, you could tell he he was dripping in gold. It was a bit cheesy. And his girlfriend with this absolutely stunning looking thing. Anyway, he says to me, oh, are you going up to the um, Clay Packy party later? Uh, Clay Packy make the lights with the mirrors, you know, the kind of mad mirrors. Remember, it's a, it's a, it's a disco trade show. There was everything. Was yeah, everything's here. Yeah. So I was like, oh, yeah, I think we are going up to the Clay Packy. He says, I might see you later. So anyway, we go up to this party. It's like, it looks like a Roman amphitheater up in the mountains. And they've got all them lights on it, so it looks incredible. And we go in, and there's a pool there with a girl swinging across it in a, on a swing. It was it was pretty cool. Um, and this fella turns up, and he says, are you having a good night? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, oh, this is my club. And I was like, oh, that's fantastic. What an ace place, you know. It wasn't a hip-hop or dancey or anything. It was just, it, but it was, it was a really nice place. So he says to me, we're going on to another club now. Do you, do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah, okay. Okay, we come. Mate, we walk out. This, <laughs> this is crazy. We walk out and there's a car park full of Ferraris. Just a car park full of Ferraris. And so he opens this door of this F40. <laughs> and I hop into this F40. And we all leave at once. So you drive it. Park, you're dri- you're driving. No, 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 no. no, right. no. I just sat in the passenger seat shitting myself. So it's the, the, we're all going around the mountainside of Rimini to this next club. But all of these Ferraris left at once. So we all leave this car park. There must have been 20. A convoy of Ferraris. Fuck. All red, all in a row. We get to this next club. This is the bit that got me, right? We pull in and there's two car parks. One's full of cars. One is just for the Ferraris. So wherever these clubs were, they had a car park for this group of lads that were just driving around in these amazing cars. Wow. So, so the same night we drove down into Rimini, which is, a, I think you could class it as like a Ibiza. It's the party place of, of Italy, or it yeah. was at that time. And he was taking me and pulling up to... <laughs> he pulled up to this bunch of women that I thought were women absolutely stunning looking things uh, uh, they must have been six foot odd so he's there and he whistles this one over and uh, I'm in the passenger seat so I can't move I'm so, uh, locked into you know one of these mad it's not like a normal seatbelt ah like, yeah it's like the racing you know, ones that go across here like if he said get out I'd be like you would have to help me here so this, <laughs> this woman this, this woman's coming over to me six foot six big hair big long kind of mink coat or whatever it was as she gets closer to the car, mate, she opens her coat. 
and it was like a bloody donkey. It was this. <laughs> it was this. It was the first time I'd ever kind of encountered anyone transsexual at all. And and the guys there pissing themselves laughing, and I couldn't get out. I was just kind of <laughs> <laughs> Oh, endless stories. Of Try to roll the window up. <laughs> it wasn't even a windy window, you know, in them things. It's like some kind of, yeah. I'm scared to put it, it's like some plastic window. Wow. It's, oh, never-ending stories of trade shows. That's mad, it isn't it? Work. Yeah. So you're doing all that, and, uh, you know, hip-hop, hip-house, what's happening with the dance music scene explosion around about you, and when are you kind of further getting deep into that? And is the Vestax thing and the trade shows, is that still going on all the way through yeah. the early 90s? Yes, yeah. I, I always kept involved in that in some respect. I what, what a lot of these manufacturers found was I was good at tuning in on when they were bringing a product out, what was good, but more importantly, what was bad, what wasn't yep. worth doing. And that was the hardest thing. It's very good to put loads of stuff onto a piece of equipment and say, oh, it's got all of this and all of this and all of this. It's when you filter it out to make that piece of equipment more usable. Um, and a lot of stuff you kind of go, that's it's not necessary. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nobody uses it. Or the amount of people that do use it isn't isn't doesn't make it valid for it to be on a product. Yeah, when you look at some of the mixers now, man, it's just fucking crazy. There's just too many buttons and flashing lights in it. It it, it to to a certain degree, it's it's good because you've got you've got all of those facilities it's mastering them that's the, yeah. the thing that, that seems to be very DJs don't there's not many people that master the ins and outs of what they can do with that equipment you know mm -hmm. they, they'll they'll pick their certain things that they're good at um, but the you know the, the ins and outs of it it's, it doesn't get mastered very often. I suppose that's where you need to take the time to kind of learn what they're all doing and all that isn't it yeah, when you're doing a trade show, you're trying to show off all those bells and whistles. Yeah. You know, that's the whole point of it. Is you, but when you're out playing live, it's doing it in a fashion where, yes, you're using all this stuff, but you do it subtly and it's got to be, you can't just kind of constantly fiddle about with stuff, just go, I'm putting a reverb on it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or whatever. It's making it sound good. You know, the end product still needs to sound good, not just me pressing buttons, kind of. Yeah, so... It's, I mean... As a like, I like I, was, I, was, I want to kind of try and touch on how the how you're moving for there, getting into sort of dance music kind of thing, because you know, what where these trade shows and the hip hop and stuff, what is it a conscious effort? Are you moving it house music or dance music or rave music or what? what are you just juggling all types of music? What are you doing? Uh, you know, I I was because after a couple of years. When you're not the champion of a DJ thing, you, you're looking for gigs and there's not much money in doing hip-hop gigs. There really isn't. And yeah. I obviously loved house music just as much. So I seen, you know, this and I would start collecting house music. And I, I remember competing in competition at Mr. Smith's in Warrington. And that's where I met Robbie Nelson from Northern Ireland. Um Robbie was there because it was the regional, it was the North regional final. So he was flown over to do it there. And a few months after I won the DMC, oh no, about a year after he says, would you come over and do some gigs? Um, and as, as doing a scratch mixing show. So I went over and I says, yeah, yeah. And I did a couple of gigs for Robbie um, do, doing DJ demo type stuff. 
Um, and then I just said to him, I said, Robbie, I, I play house, you know, I play house and techno and rave or whatever he wanted to call it. And um, and so he, he flew me over to do a place called Circus Circus. Amazing um, club, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I I had a guy. It was it was run by a guy called Billy Dunseith. Do I think you know Billy? Yeah. And um, and I can remember doing this gig, and I used to do this trick. I can remember literally seeing people kind of going, "What's he doing?" I did this trick, mate, where I'd be playing a track, playing two tracks together in a mix. And then I'd stop one of the decks and then I'd play that backwards and you play it backwards by twiddling the centre kind of bit of the... And then you fade out into the other one. It's a cool little thing I was doing in the scratch mixing things. But I was doing this with house music. Yeah. And that it kind of blew them away and that's where I kind of thought, well, I'm going to start doing this music. If is I that just something bit... you've thought on the spot of the moment at the gig on the night or is it something that well, you're no, messing no, about well, in the house? Excel a lot of that was just purely because when you're doing the scratch mix and stuff, you're so kind of tuned into what the vinyl's doing that it just you can just do it. Yeah. It's a bit like when you're dancing, you, can, you don't know what you're going to do next, but you kind of do something. Yeah. Like you don't forget, do you? And just fall over. You kind of you, you'll do something. So yeah, it's yeah. a bit like that where you have this kind of armory of I know what to do. I can do this, 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 and this. And if the situation's right, then I'll do it. Um, so I never never thought. I used to um, I used to like not thinking about a DJ set and, and going with it, you know, and 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 uh, taking the crowd somewhere. That was always good. Yeah. But it was it was it was this term where I wasn't getting much work doing DMC stuff, and I was more interested in the house music side of things and the dance music side of things. And I also seen that as more there was more work doing that. And I enjoyed it. And I it was the Irish playing. one your first sort of club gig playing the dance music then, or? Well, no, I was doing stuff over over on you know on the Wirral um, and Liverpool, and then I was doing raves up in Manchester. Um, yeah, I was all over the place over here. But it was when I started doing there. That's I don't know why, but then it took off, and I started doing a lot more background Europe. I was just ringing up the old DMC people saying, "Remember me? Now I'll do this." And you'd either get a gig or you wouldn't. You may need to put a light on there, mate. You're disappearing as the night goes on. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know I you're just talking to a silhouette. <laughs> uh, it's for the best, to be fair. Yeah. yeah. Stick, stick, a light, stick a big light on. <laughs> Splash yeah, out. It's going to be like Tesco's now. There he is. There we go. Oh, fuck. That's it. Back nah, mate, off. switch it back off. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I need to kind of, I need to the top of my head. <laughs> so, I right, so to jump back in, you're phoning up the old DMC contacts. You're doing raves in like North England and over in Ireland. Yeah. I mean, are you, are you seeing like a, this kind of, I, I mean, I guess you're maybe busy doing the, all, all the all the trade shows and touring. Mm. Are, you, are you missing the kind of, this sort of dance music early explosion or are you very much aware of it kind of thing and keeping an eye oh, on that as well? I was th- in the thick of that as well. Yeah. 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 So the, the trade shows were very much like come down here on a Saturday and Sunday and do the show and go. And that was once a month. Um, doing hip-hop demos, it was here and there. 
again. But the, the majority of my time, I was either buying dance music or, you know, I was obviously playing it as well. Yeah. Um, but I've been looking for it and looking for different different sounds. And, um, yeah, it's, I, it, it, it just merged into that. It was like, this is the way I'd need to go. I enjoyed playing that music and doing a little bit of the trickery that I was doing from the competitions to kind of spice it up. Mm-hmm. Like James Abelia, you know, he's, he's playing dance music that everyone else plays, but he does it a bit more funky by chopping it up. And yeah, and that's what I was doing then. It was just the same thing, just adding a little bit of flavour to it. And like I said before, it was it was hard. It's it's hard to be kind of subtle with some of these things because you don't want to be scratching over a house music track all the way through. It's not mm-hmm. you know, it's, you do a little flick here and there, and just to add to it. So I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed doing that. And. Are things are you obviously are you feeling like you're the, the Irish are going more crazy for you than back home or is it just kind of building up everywhere you're getting a name for yourself are you doing you starting doing your tapes and all that the mixtapes and stuff selling oh my gigs because yeah. that the was tape. a great income for everyone back in the day wasn't it oh my god man I, I, the amount of money that we made from tapes I was doing three tapes a month and I think we sold at least a thousand of each tape every month. Fucking hell. This is cash, mate. You know, there was just cash. Remember, I remember one day just walking along, there was a radio control car there. I'll have that. And then, oh, my mate's selling a jet ski. I'll have that. It was just... <laughs> Loads was of not, money. Yeah. You were able to boss. And it was cash. So you just, it was just piling up. And you, I, I'm, mate, if, if I had five grand debt on a credit card and I won five grand, I'd book a holiday. That's that's incredible, <laughs> right? So I was just—it was steak dinners and champagne, and but I kind of, in some respects, you think, oh, you could have done something sensible with it. And you kind of go, but I wouldn't have had the laugh that I yeah, had. Yeah, enjoying yourself. I've had such a ball, and you know, I was just—it was incredible. I don't think if I'd have been all kind of, oh, I'm just going to go home now and save me money. It was just like, no, you got to enjoy it. So you're doing doing the gigs. Is there any residencies coming about and all that? Because I don't know if I'm jumping too far. Because the first kind of time we sort of cross paths, mm. it would have been the drone days. Is that a re- your residency that's coming up, or is that something that you'd always popped in and played or what? No, no. The the the, the drone before I was there was was a group of lads. Um, it was Dave Graham, it was Cy Edwards, John Cotton. Um, and there was Philly and Rusty were there as well. And it was very much the obvious rave, you know, the floppy hats and the glow sticks. It was a it was a big rave. And the club was made for it wasn't made for it, but it it, it was it was an old function cabaret club. So it had a lot of stages here and there. So it was it was great for a rave. But when I was approached, it was when Dave Graham and that team kind of decided to go to Liverpool and they they were left with um, Philly and Rusty, uh, who were still DJing there. And the uh, the two managers, well, no, sorry, one of the managers came in to see me at a club I was doing, a friend's club in New Brighton called RJ's. I was doing just like a Sunday night in there. Um, and I knew this guy, his name's Paul Wells. Paul went on to work with Carl Cox and run his own agency and stuff. But he came in and he, they came over and says, would you be interested in doing the drone in Birkenhead and I said well I've got a lot of them whereas I'm going over to Ireland every couple of weeks and I'm doing gigs here there and everywhere but let me have a look 
because it's, it's local and I know it's a big club and it's got a lot of people going to it. So I went down the following week and uh, just thought I could easily slot into this. It's it's perfect, you know. And What can I use that? What? Um, I would say that would have been uh, six, five, maybe 93, 93, 94, yeah. Or well, even 92. It's a bit of a blur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, early, it was, early to mid nineties kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was then. So I, I decided, uh, yes, I'll do it. But it was like, okay, but once a month, at least once a month, I won't be here on a Saturday. I'll be away doing something at least once, and or I'll can give you dates in advance where I can't be here. And if that helps you, and it, and it did what what was normally happening then when we were when I got stuck into the drone, it'd be like we've got Carl Cox on at the end of the month. It's like, well, I, I may as well go away and do a gig somewhere else because there's no point in having two residents. We've got Carl on. He's going to be the main night, so you just need somebody to top and tail it. Yeah. So that's what I would do. Um, whenever there was something big on, I'd, that's when I'd kind of skedaddle and do my own little thing. Um, so was I, a, I, sorry, mate. Uh, what were you saying? Was there a kind of year that you felt really comfortable in your skin and your residency? Or maybe what I'm getting to was was there a year where you felt was your was your kind of golden era or a peak? Uh, those 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 years when I was in Ireland, so the the mid nineties, yeah, mid nineties were just uh, and and the late nineties in Ireland. I was over there for twenty years or so, yeah. constantly. You know, um, I don't know what it was about me in Northern Ireland. I think because I went over there whilst the troubles were still going on. That was one thing because there was a lot of people that wouldn't. Um, that, that were spooked by the place. Yeah. Um, it, we were talking the thick of the troubles here, you know. It, yeah. It wasn't. Um, and you know, yes, you, we, there was, I was involved in all kinds of dramas there, bombs going off and shootings and stuff. But it was equally happening over here. You know, Warrington's up the road, Manchester's up the road. These places were kind of affected by all of that troubles as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I just kind of thought, no, I love it, you know. And, and the people, as you know, it was like a school disco. They opened the doors, they all legged it in and danced, and then they went home. Yeah, it just and it, it, had the time it, of their lives, didn't they? Yeah, it, well, it was it was nuts. Um, God, and, and but obviously we were going in and doing the dirty raves, and it like a circus, circus. I mean, I remember I remember going down there with one of the guys that kind of ran it, the dodgy old buggers. But when they were saying, right, we're opening the doors, there would be one lad running round with about two or three bottles of poppers just chucking it all over the floor. So when everyone ran in, they get a big whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> and it was nuts. I remember, I remember taking, remember Steady. Yeah, yeah. So that we went over and did a party people PA and I took them all over there. First time in Northern Ireland. And... Uh, it was near bonfire night and some bugger started letting fireworks off in the club. So you can imagine in Northern Ireland cacking themselves. Aye, everybody's hit the deck probably. Yeah. I mean, I, what I thought was brilliant about Northern Ireland and what you were doing in the North England was, I just felt like a lot of places in England, Scotland and Ireland, they were getting roped into like too much of the hardcore sound. And your sound was always kind of that European bonsai kind of trance kind of sound. Still a bit of power and a bit of speed on it, but it, it just wasn't monotonous. You know, there was a wee bit more of a melody and more of a tune on it. And and that that was the thing, because I remember one of the first times we, we played the drone was ultrasonic. 
and I think we got a couple of your tapes and kind of like you we just kind of rushed in did our gig how you doing and then we'd go back to the hotel or whatever yeah. and then it wasn't like until like listening to your tapes and stuff like that maybe in the van up the road or the van to the next gig or something like fucking hell this is fucking mega and then we'd look forward to coming back to the drone and then we would make a point of listening to your set yeah you know and it, there was only a few DJs that we UK DJs that we genuinely looked forward to you know their sets you know you were, you were one of them Big X-Ray in Northern Ireland was another you know yeah. it, it was just I think it was because you, you you saw there was more to music than just a kind of stuff you know it was there was a bit in there it was just, again it was it was more me not listening to everybody else and just going and buying the music that tickled my ears yeah um, I also had some really good guys in the record shops who were dealing you know at the time you'd have somebody that would deal with you yeah um so i had people like steve parry and one of them who was brilliant was is dave ralph um and dave i could go there on a saturday morning and dave would give me a pile of records and i'd pretty much buy the lot he, he was again he just, put, he like, just knew he actually knew what you were after as well and put he, a wee box yeah, for you yeah 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 i mean yeah yeah so we it was good to have that it was good to have somebody that was you know, I've got all of these for you, and uh, and to be so tuned in on what you did that it was right. But I, I hated listening to other DJs. There was a few that I listened to. I listened to DJ Dag, um, who was a big. If there was an influence in that in that sound, it was him. He used to play hard music that sounded like a film soundtrack. Mm-hmm. You no, know, it was it was it was banging as hell. But it would have this lovely kind of strings over the top of it or something. It was just, it was really good. And I just always thought, yeah, like you say, you've got to have a bit of energy in this kind of stuff and banging and getting people jumping up and down. But if you can have a nice kind of melody within that, I used to, I used, that's what I used to enjoy. And that's what was good about a lot of that kind of bonsai stuff. It was There was always a nice big break that was musical, yep. you know, the stabs and noises. And yeah. did, you, did you ever have the urge or, I don't even know if we spoke about this, have you ever dived into production back then or was you ever tempted to? Yeah, I did a lot of, I did, I liked doing a lot of bootleg stuff. I liked, again, it was like the whole DJing thing, manipulating music. It was nice to do that. So I did like kind of bootlegs of Party People and Joe Inferno and um, Four for Money, Moment in Time and stuff like that. And then I made some original tunes with um, a couple of mates and some on my own that we kind of released. I used to, work with um, friends up in uh, Bradford which is you, you know the unique three yep, yep. so yeah so um, we ran a record distribution company so what we would do is we'd sell all the distributed stuff that other record companies would do and obviously we'd include ours so I used to do the north of England I used to drive around with my car full of records flogging them um, so it was, it was yeah I suppose um, that, the, the production was me making music that we put out and then when I worked with Matt Fulton from Liverpool and Mike Coglin, the German producer. Um, so Mike's a nice guy. I, I met him in London years ago. That's the last yeah. time I've seen him. Oh, yeah. Well, I, we, we, were, we were houses. We were called Das Tricks. I had such a laugh with Mike. It was Mike that... I went, I went for a night out with Mike to a club that Boy George has invited us to. Mike used to produce the Boy George dance music stuff, right? Oh, I never knew that. 
so he was doing that and then so we went to this party it was oh, that was a bit nuts so a party with with boy george i think marilyn remember the yeah yeah, um, yeah he was there was that uh, jesus loves you or something like was that his dancing kind of stuff uh, yeah yeah so mike was involved in that um but then this is the, you'll love this one mate this is um a doozy going back to Malcolm McLaren. I get a phone call. And I was doing my music through Red with Mike Coglin was getting put out with Red Parrot. And Red Parrot was John Cicchini, who was a local Liverpool guy who had worked for DMC and Andrea Law. And Andrea was basically Board George's busy mate. Um, there was a group of other people. There was, there was Hayes, who was basically Sasha's driver. There was this combination of people and they had a little label called Red Parrot. So we stuck stuff out as Red Paris. Um, I can vaguely so, remember the name of the label. Yeah, yeah, there was a few bits and bobs come out there. Um, Parks and Wilson were involved. And then I got a phone call from, I think it was either Andrea or, or John, saying, um, Mike Coglin's working on this band. Uh, it's a group, two girls, and they're going to be a bit cyberpunky. And the, the guy that's running it wants one of them to be a scratch DJ to actually scratch as part of the show. It must be not really, but, you know, part of the show. Yeah. I says, all right. He says, yeah, yeah, the guy that's put them together is, called, is Malcolm McLaren. Fucking hell. And I was like, you're, you're joking. And I was like, you know, we, you know, he's taken aback. He's like, wow, he's, he's the guy that started hip-hop and punk and everything. So I went down and I was working with these girls. I got to meet Malcolm once. Um, but um, Mick Wilson, you know, from DJ Mag, he's, he's, I mean, he did tracks with Malcolm McLaren. They didn't wow. think it was the Bell song, I think they did. Um, but that was nuts. And I got my check. It was a Coots Bank check from Malcolm McLaren. And then, the Queen's and it Bank. Was only, it was only a couple of hundred quid. And I was like, I need the money, but I wanted to keep the check. Yeah. I to, <laughs> yeah. So I was, that was a bit surreal. That's amazing, yeah. man. That is yeah. amazing. So, I mean, there's another question. And I know you say you're hardly listening to other DJs, but when you're touring and when you're holding down a resident in, in, a, in a popular club you get to meet a lot of bands and DJs was there any ones that stuck out that you, you kind of thought are they alright or are ones you're just like mate you're a fucking waste of time there's a lot there was a lot of because at that time everybody thought they were somebody and all that didn't oh, they yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. Most of them, most people were nice. You, when you lot turned up, they, they were always lovely. Mm. Um, I, the, 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 we had a, a load of Scottish. So we had you lot, we had Chill FM, yeah. and we had, what was it, Ultimate Buzz. Yeah. Remember them? Oh, God, right. Well, you know, the Callan, the guy for Ultimate Buzz, he's, he's sadly dead now. Oh, oh, a good few years ago, he died, kind of thing. Um, well, they, they, I can remember, Ultimate Buzz, I can remember once, mate. Well, and you know the journey down from Glasgow to Birkenhead, yeah. right? So anyway, I pulled into the car park to start my set, and they said, oh, Ultimate Buzz aren't here yet. So anyway, I was like, all right, okay. So I waited in the car park, and in they pulled, mate, and they'd driven all the way down here. There was six of them, all of their equipment, in a Ford Escort. <laughs> <laughs> the whole lot of them, Economy. the whole lot, are driven... Chewing their faces off all the way down from is it Glasgow there from or whatever it is? Yeah, Livingston from. just outside Glasgow, right? Right, right. All the way down there. They did the gig, they got back in the car, they drove home. It was just nuts. Obviously, there was Chill FM, I used to love. And yeah, these boys day, are great. Great, great guys. One day, we were up in the changing room thing, we probably were up the top, you'd have remembered. And um, 
somebody says, oh, you have to try one of Macca's crackers. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you know what a Macca's cracker is? <laughs> no. so, so, remember Macca, who was the, he was the nutter who used to be on the electric chair. Uh-huh. Right? So I said, what's a Macca's cracker? So he's in the corner there, mate, with a packet of Jacob's cream crackers. I was like, what? what's this about? He says, do you want a cracker? I was like, go on then. So he gets this lump of butter out, mate, that looked like it was rotten. It was weed butter. He made right. this butter out. <laughs> That's one of Macca's crackers. So I had one of these crackers, mate, and that was me written off for the nice. <laughs> Macca's crackers, yeah. So that was it. He was just kind of, he'd be traveling around the country with a pack of the Jacobs. Passing yeah. them out. I remember well, um, one night we were all talking, it was, uh, it was, Glenn Cyanide MC oh. Cyanide and he was telling us about he used to always every time I met him in the drone days he'd always go on, go off on one about the Proclaimers and how he <laughs> he would just fling eggs at them in concerts and stuff and it, it, it just felt like he had to tell us because we were Scottish <laughs> <laughs> well, I it, well I've kind of abused you over the years calling you Super Gran Super Gran I know <laughs> all kinds of nonsense isn't it so yeah, so that's. I think. I think one of the things, especially around Merseyside, is we we, we tend to be. Uh, we we tend to shout abuse at people with love. Yeah. You know, if you see your mate across the road, you say, "Hey, dickhead," kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 because it's, it's your an mate, affectionate you know? way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so we, we're constantly taking you know like taking the piss out of anyone yeah. <laughs> really. Yeah, it was always all a good. Thing. Always done in love, you know, with love and jest yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Always having a laugh. Um, I, I mean, is it a was it a time when obviously no going to doom and gloom or whatever, or however you feel? Was it a time when you know we spoke about your your, your journey and your and your rise? I mean, we've all had them. Was it a time when you've kind of lost love in dance music or, or just to feel? Um, I wouldn't say carry on, but just the business of touring and traveling. And it, did you fall out of love with it at any time? When I started doing more and more back to the old school, remember this gigs, you know, when you just. When did that an, start for you? I mean, when. I would. Mi, 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 well, it's like the 2000s. Right. And then it was 10 years of just, you know, you were kind of. Can you come and do this oldie gig playing from this from there? And that, that was soul destroying for me. Uh, yes, because you were tied thing. to a certain time or certain music. Yeah, or? it was. It was more the fact that I, I when I did, used to DJ, I loved taking people on a bit of a journey. I loved to surprise people. And and when you're playing a load of oldies, you 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 haven't got that, or not as much. You know, yes, you can surprise people with this classic or that classic, but once the it wasn't it, I didn't enjoy that I used to really love getting new music and getting people dancing to it and I know but it was more this start somewhere with your DJ set and end up somewhere else yep. you know musically and speed wise and whatever and I used to, I used to thrive off um, off that and I think that's the bit that's kind of gone from DJing to a certain degree, I know evidence changed. It's slightly different now, but one of the things I used to love was was that I used to love it if me and Phil would have a residence night at the drone, and they said it's just you two tonight. There might yeah. be a ten minute PA come on or something, but it's just you two, and it was great to get stuck in and and take this crowd. And I used to love taking them really low and taking it down as if it was nothing, and then just woof up you go there with yeah. the yeah, that that was the 
I, I used to always think to myself that, that you've got this, as a DJ, you've got this amazing power that the whole world would love is that you know the future. You know the next record. Yeah. And in, in your head... You you're know, two, three records ahead, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm sitting there going, if you're excited now, wait until I play this yeah. one, two records on. And that was the that was where I thrived. It, it was having that power to know, I, I know what you're about to hear. And yeah. if, if I'm getting excited about it, then I can't wait to see you lot. And that's, I, I, I love that. And that was what, as soon as that kind of went, um, I kind of didn't lose love in it because I used to always love DJing. I loved, yeah. you know, doing it and, and meeting my friends and stuff. But uh, the, the passion for, this, you know, for that I, I fizzled away a bit, you know? Excel. But I think there's something magic about it. Again, we spoke about this a good few times where, you know, if if you just do the do the do the digging and, and play the tunes that that I, I know I know this is an easy thing everybody just play the same classics but when you, when you do it's almost like Northern Soul we do a wee bit of digging and you find that track that nobody's heard or they've forgotten all about and yeah. Yeah. and I was talking to I, I was talking to a guy I know from Birkenhead and and I was telling I was telling him about a track. I can't even remember how we got into the conversation. He goes, oh, that that's a that's a tricks track. And I and I fucking went, oh, right. so it is. I remember, you know, and I couldn't remember the name. And then I actually spoke to you about the I can't even remember what what the track was. And it was a thing you'd done on the mix and all that. But shit like that, I think there's something exciting about getting the chance to play the tracks again for people A who are enjoying it because it brings back so many memories of you playing it back in the day or equally people who have after the scene had left them they've found that music and then never heard it in a big club again so it's, yeah. it's there is some kind of excitement still again in doing these maybe not every weekend because then it would be like Groundhog Day but you know yeah, once yeah. in a while big yeah. good yeah, nights no, you are right uh, and I think if there was going to be a, a buzz it would be finding that one that wasn't the big, huge, obvious track that everyone keeps playing. Yeah. Uh, it was a classic, but it was one of those understated ones that was just part of the night, but everyone loves and would recognise. And uh, Yeah, I get, I get that. Yeah. Because um, what I, I find everything. is people, people know the music even more now because they've yeah. listened to it at home so much and maybe well, more than they did back then. Accessible, isn't it? You, I mean, you can listen to DJ sets from every era now. You just go on yep. YouTube or whatever else and it's it's all there. Whereas years ago, it was, it was tapes and it was, well, it was tapes really. You it? really had to try to track it down, didn't you? Yeah. Uh, even yeah. as a DJ, try to find out, you know, well, maybe maybe no so much for you, but like if, if I if I was like in a club and you heard a track, you'd want to find out what it is. But the DJ probably wouldn't tell you <laughs> what track it was, you know, because he's want to keep it because he knows he's getting gigs off the back of that track, yeah, you know. Yeah. Just, well, obviously nowadays you just shazam it, don't you? That's it, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. I, I, I do know that when I was buying stuff from like Three Bs, that obviously when the drone was going well, they would they would go off whatever I'd bought on a Saturday and then they'd order what I'd bought on the Monday because they knew that there was going to be sales of that. Yeah. There'd be people coming in asking for it. And I'd, I didn't hide any of the music from people, but, but I mean, where I was positioned, you couldn't see it anyway. It wasn't like there was, you could see the decks yeah. up on a stage. 
So, so, um, so when you're DJing at the Drome as well, are you got a bit of saying who, what acts to book to get in? Because is it stuff that you guys, you are fellow that's playing that's... No, I, I just, I would suggest, I mean, it was me that suggested Ultrasonic, purely because whenever I played that, um, uh, is it Annihilating Rhythm, the one yeah. that slows down? Was that, and that the, the place took off. You know, wherever you played that, it, it just went nuts. And I said, purely just for that track, you've uh-huh. got to get these guys on. And that was one. Um, the, there wasn't that many live acts other than you guys doing something that was worth putting on. You know, mm-hmm. um, electronic music doesn't come across well live. Yeah. You know, this is why everyone now that makes electronic music is a DJ because that's the way that they perform their music. Yep. You, you put them on stage with their Ableton and a few controllers, it's boring as hell, isn't it? It's not, mm-hmm. there's nothing exciting you can't tart it up and make it look kind of cool because it's it just is, is what it is um so there wasn't that many acts but it was i'd, I'd say about djs you kind of say well we try and get these on i suggested mr c which who we had on we have moby on um and that was good so yeah but it was more a case of what was working in the club and you'd look and you kind of go oh well all of this stuff on this label's good and then so oh we get mario de Bellis over from that label yeah, and he'd play a sentence. Like I said before, some of them were great, some of them were shite. I mean, it was a good club just to be the reason for because every week it was just going off, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was good. Um, it, 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 the layout of the place was good. Like I said before, it helped, and it, it's. It, I think the good thing was was I didn't carry on what Dave and the rest of the guys were doing before me. I kind of slowly turned it into something different so the club evolved and my personal take was I'd love to have taken that a little bit more commercial and make it more like the European raves yeah and um, the people that were in the club or were, you know the guys that were booking and running it um, wanted to go a bit more deeper and techno-y and or the alternate which was like happy hardcore mm-hmm. and it was just I uh, thought so that it's not that club's not right for that you know, it was yeah. it was a, a very much a rave and not a a, a deepy, deep deep kind of sweat boxy kind of a place. Yeah. You know, it was definitely a big. Every, a, yeah. every sort of club has its time, doesn't it? And I mean, yeah. I think the the drums now a car park or something now, isn't it? Oh, it's, yeah. like, well, it's an office block in the car park, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, years ago, yeah. I mean, even when we were doing it, mate, it was falling to bloody bits. <laughs> you know, we've been there forever. It was a it was the Hamilton Club. It was a cabaret club. Yeah. in the 70s you know and every week you'd be in there on a Monday and there'd be guys there putting new floorboards in because the floor had collapsed and right. oh yeah it was yeah, some of the stories in there mate it was, it was how did the, how did the the Vestax thing come back around because you ended up working full time with Vestax again didn't you after yeah, a while yeah yeah, yeah. I um, after, after I'd say the 2000s I I then moved up to North Wales. I was married at the time and I moved up to North Wales. And throughout my life, I've done two jobs and one of them was gardening. I love gardening and DJing. So obviously in the early days, it was great. You'd be gardening all week and it was the weekends I'd DJ. And also because I was younger, I could hack going out on a Thursday night and still go to work on the (laughs) Friday, which doesn't happen anymore. Um, So... uh, I when I moved up to North Wales, I kind of more concentrated on the gardening. It's big gardens in North Wales, so I was yeah. doing well. And I love that. This is what I do now. I love it. Um, 
it's my other real passion. I love being on my own and I love being in gardens and all the rest of it. Very opposite, but that's what, what I was doing. And I was going to say, it's even we're doing it when you're younger, there must have been something on a deeper level that was rewarding to you, like from being in a packed club, right? Yeah. Like being on top of the mountain, DJing, to then escaping away from all the maddening crowd and being by yourself, tending a garden. I I, um, I like being on my own. I like my own company. Uh, I just technically could do the DJing thing. So I think a lot of people, if they were talking about me from all that era, would... Uh, uh, if I didn't know you, I'd most probably come across as quite arrogant. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not good with people. Mm-hmm. I was just good at that. So gardening was something that, and I like getting stuck into stuff. I'm a grafter. I like kind of getting stuck in, and that was that's what I thrived on. So I was doing that up in North Wales, and I was quite happy. And I was still doing the odd DJ gig here and there. You know, you, you get a, a thing here and there. And then out of the blue, it was Rob Peck again who started Vestax off. He was at that time he was running Gemini. Um, and he says to me, okay, years ago, Vestax had Vestax Europe, which is what Rob started. And that was in, in the UK. And basically they seen the UK as a cash cow for DJ. So hence why they started it. And they put it on the back burner and they'd been using a distributor for so many years and it wasn't working. The distributor wasn't doing them justice. It wasn't really pushing and whatever. So they thought we're going to revive Vestax Europe. So we'll just do our own sales direct, and we, but we need somebody to run it. So they'd ask Rob, uh, Toshi, who was the, the, the guy that runs Rand Vestax, uh, the president of the company, he asked Rob, he says, can you think of anyone that would be suitable for doing this? And he obviously bounced out a few obvious trade names that were in the business anyway, that you know that, that, that we do. And then he just said, well, what about Mike? And um, I, I think they kind of thought, well, He's part of the brand, you know, he's... he's got history there. Um, yeah, that, and I've got this, I'm part of the family kind of thing with them. So he says, he says, would you be interested? And I was like, well, yeah, it's a dream job. If I explain what, you know, we go on and explain about what you do with Vestax, it was just, this is incredible. As a geek, it yeah. was <laughs> oh, unbelievable. So my wife at the time works for Virgin Atlantic, I was very fortunate she got me some tickets. I fly over to Tokyo. I have a meeting with them. And um, they just says, can you run it? And I was like, yeah, but I, I do a bit of gardening. Like, I, was, I, I can't not do that. I had to give up the gardening eventually. But I ended up starting to run Vestax Europe. Is there no lot of pressure with that, Mike? Is there no... Are, are you just yeah. going to that as like a geek loving it? Are you not thinking about oh, no, the pressure? No, no, no. no. You, you've got to look, think of this first. Forget the geekiness. Forget the equipment. I was doing importation of goods through docks and paying VAT and all of that. It was just like, what? What's this all about? You know? Right, right. You know, uh, what's it called? I'm trying to even think of the terminology they were using. And it was just... Customs and excise and all that kind of shit. I'm doing doing customs forms. I'm doing shipping. Anyway, once you get your head around all that, it's just posting stuff here and there. You know, it is that, but it's it's quite complicated. It was when then they said, okay, right, we're going to start getting you involved in the, you know, in in more involved with the Vestax family. This is the bit where the geekiness just exploded. So we do 
Vestex would do a thing once a year and it was an international distributor meeting. And it was normally held at a place called the New Otini Hotel in Tokyo. New Otini is the, ho- is the hotel that was used in one of the James Bond films. Um, Your old friend Daniel was, Craig. Well, no, no, it was, it was, it was, it was Sean. Oh, Sean, okay. Uh, uh, he used to live down the road. No, he didn't. Um, so I forget which one it is. Anyway, it's the, the one where he's, it's all in Japan. New Otini's in there. So as an international distributor meeting, you've basically got the majority of the distributors from around the world in a room with the Vestax guys. And the first day is a bit boring, so they're just going through, here's what we've got, and here's our new products, showing them whatever, here's a bit of artwork. Then you do a lap of honour around all of these guys, and they'd all stand up, do a little presentation. This is what we're doing in our country to promote the brand. Here's some ideas, here's a DJ that we support, blah, blah, blah. Then the next day, you kind of go, okay, now we're going to show you some new equipment that you've never seen before, right? And I remember this first meeting was in 2009, and all the guys from uh, Serato were there. So the full team of Serato were there. And so we're showing you new equipment. Then Serato are telling us about the new features in Serato that aren't coming out for six months. So you're sitting there going, wow, I'm getting this nuts. Yeah, yeah. The day after, we're showing them new bits of technology. So it might just be a crossfader that we've designed or a pressure pad or something. And it was absolutely outrageous. You know, if you're, if you're a geek base and so you're there and you're talking to the software companies and you're in the midst of making a product that's not coming out for a year. Yeah. Wow, it, was, it was nuts. It was really... really and you're getting paid then, to do it. You've just been paid yeah. to be in geek heaven. Yeah, and then and then okay, tonight we're going out in Akihabara or whatever, and you're like, oh, unbelievable. The one of the best things that, that I, I can took from that, there was a guy uh, who was head of he represented Vestax for our French distributor. His name's Jerome Henry. Jerome went on to work for Vestax, but I can remember this one meeting, and there's a day where the Japanese just would say to you, okay, forget everything what would be your dream thing? Forget what, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it might not be possible now. What would it be? And mm-hmm. we went around the room and, and there's a lot of obvious things. Well, I want a mixer with seven decks and all this kind of caper. So he gets to Jiro and he says, when I was a kid, um, I always wanted to touch music. I used to want to grab hold of the bass and squeeze it. And as something as a kid, he could obviously imagined doing this. And he was like, oh, I just want to feel and touch the music. There's a few people having a bit of a giggle and we, whatever. Anyway, by the by, Jerome ended up working for Vestax and him and his wife moved over to Tokyo. And this is what was amazing. They took all of that and they stuck with it with, with Jerome. And Jerome was the person that was the head of a product called the VCI 380. And the VCI 380 was a DJ controller for Serato that was the first one ever to have pads on it that were pressure sensitive. And it was like, okay, you can touch the music here. Mm-hmm. So Jerome had made this product and literally taken this idea that was a dream as a kid and made it. And the more you pressed on the pressure pads, the more effect and more whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it was incredible to, to be involved with the company that had taken an idea that was so and like a, child's, a child's dream. And then he'd made, he, he eventually made this product with them. Oh, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was nuts. We made the trade shows we did with Vestax were even more 
nuttier when I got to that stage. We were doing Nam Show, which is the North American music meeting or whatever. It's held in LA, uh, Anaheim, just over the road from Disney. So we go there each year, we put a trade show on, whatever. So you do a trade show in Germany, you're going to get a load of German pop stars. You do one in England, you're going to get the local celebrities in England. Yeah. You're in LA, mate. <laughs> I'm DJing, mate. I'm doing this little, just mucking about with some equipment. And I look up and there's Stevie Wonder. Literally. Oh, from, so, so Stevie Wonder's, you go on my Facebook, there's a picture of me with him. Um, he walks past. The next thing I'm walking down, I thought, I'm going to go into this other hall. It's all the drums. There's, is it Tommy Lee, the drummer? Yeah. He's there. I met all the guys from Kiss. Wow. Um, like Richie Horton was always there. BT was there. Um, but it was these these mega stars that were just kind of waltzing around. I went to a party at the Playboy Mansion. Amazing. It was a, it was a I mean, it was well, Hugh Hefner's Playboy Mansion. Uh, yeah, he wasn't there. I didn't see any women or not, none of these play bunny things, right? We were just kind of gone in. You see the front door, you're ushered around the side and you're in like a function tent thing. So I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't get to see. It wasn't like, oh, I'm swanning around and sitting in the crypt. And but you were at the Playboy Mansion, mate. Oh, mate. So it was just, it was, it was bizarre. So you're involved in the music industry and you're in LA and it was, oh, inc- incredible times. Um, yeah, loved it. Absolutely brilliant, man. I mean, it's been some journey, isn't it? I mean, are you, do you, I mean, you're you're happy where you're at just now and all that. But is it? Do you do you ever do you ever miss all that madness, or are you just glad to have, have been such a big part of your life? Um, I I don't I don't miss some of it. If it, if, or the stress if, and all that and the bullshit. Uh, yeah, if if if, if you if you just kind of go, okay, what would you like to do? I'd like to just dive in, do a bit of DJing, and then just be back on my couch at home. Yeah. And not have to do with anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just transport me there, do the thing, and then and then come back. Um, recently, not only well, you've been kind of pestering you, to, to, to <laughs> like a, get into this again, and I was really hesitant, and then I've had other people asking me. And I thought, no, I'm, I'm not, you know. And yes, there is people that would like me to do it, but in my head, it's kind of fin- finished. I've kind of thought, no, I'd, I'd, I'm happy what I'm doing. I'm no, no spring chicken anymore, yeah. and I really love gardening. If I concentrate on this, this is this is what I, this is what I intended to do to retire. If you get me, yeah, yeah. my my out thing. Unfortunately for me, both all three of my children have recently said to me, well, "Why don't you DJ again?" And it's it's them that's kind of made me think, well, you know what? I'll do this for some fun and let's see what happens. Yeah. Um, I hesitate. Oh, bloody kids. Why did they have to kind of come out with that? But they've never seen me do it. And now um, they're at an age where they can even come to the club, maybe, no? Yeah, well, my, my eldest daughter, definitely, you know, she's 25. Um so it's them that have kind of persuaded me to at least dabble and see what's what, you know. So I've uh, I'll be putting mixes together and giving them to friends and seeing what's what they think yeah. and whatever. Uh, I, mate, you're no naive. It's not like you're going. I'm going to give it an up, give the DJ and I go again. It's just kind of like I think it's great to have that option of jumping in and out it when when you decide 
Uh, yeah, I'll fucking do that. Yeah, I'll do that. I've always done that, mate. If, if, if the gardening's been going well, that's my, been my income. If I get the odd DJ gig, happy days. If yeah. I get more DJ gigs, then okay, well, I might jump ship. You know, as long as they've got a mower in the garage and a strimmer, I'm, I'm working. Yeah, I can yeah. jump back to that whenever I want. It's it's I fall back onto that all day long. Um, so whenever I've had the option to kind of either make a bit more money and I've enjoyed it or have this amazing experience, then I'm, I'm fortunate enough to jump into it, have my fun, and if it kind of fizzles out or stops, then I can, I've got my fail-safe, which is walking up and down with a lawnmower. Yeah. Um, you know what's mad, Mike, just through talking to you, it's kind of like, it's almost like a you're, you're, you've been living in this world of opposites where it's, you know, like... For somebody who likes to be alone, mm. you've been, you know, a big part of dance music, the club DJ, and then even what you're doing with Vestax uh, and meeting all these people and going to all these trade shows. But at the same time, you prefer yeah. being alone. I, you know, I, I, if I feel comfortable with people or a situation, um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm yeah. before. Uh, it wasn't it's like, yeah, how old was I 47 I um, I ended up getting diagnosed with being autistic so it was a week before my 50th birthday I got the diagnosis through how did but that I come about of, why uh, but, but one of my children was was diagnosed at the age of two and it's 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 very common that when adults kind of read into it and I was reading all these things and going Oh, this is this is autistic. This is autistic. I was thinking, oh, everyone does that. Everyone does that. What are you on about? This is not weird. And to the realization was, wait, wait no, I do that, and mm-hmm. I feel like that. And it was, it dawned on me. Obviously, at that time, we just discovered my son was 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 on the spectrum. He's fortunately for us, it's it's literally, you know, we say it's a spectrum. He's he's like me. He's kind of high functioning. You can deal with life. It's just certain situations aren't yeah. kind of cool. Um, so I, I, but I didn't want to make a fuss and go oh me too you know what I mean it wasn't uh-huh. like that so I just kind of it bubbled away um, I, I unfortunately got divorced and I kind of slowly realised that, that this this was niggling my head um, and I was doing all the online tests which are all pretty much the same the same so you know if you just say oh I don't like people it must be oh yeah you're on the spectrum but it, it, it's a bit deeper than that yeah. so I kind of got it I, I thought right I'll, I'll get diagnosed and they'll either say no you're not or yes you are and at least I'll know I'll understand yeah. myself a bit better and I got diagnosed and it was a bit of a shocker even though I kind of knew really that, that, that that's what it was so that's what if a lot of people like me would feel very comfortable in a geeky situation because I'm a geek. Yeah. So if I was to sit down with my mates that work at Ableton, I could feel comfortable because I can always talk about something. There's always something that I can talk about. And the same with you, we talk about music or something that we have a common interest in. If you took me to a party and it was just chit chat, oh no. Yeah, it's nightmare. Not. Doesn't happen. I can't just. Hey, how are you? What do you do? Give a shit. You know, so it's a bit of a weird one. And like I said, we're very fortunate that we're what's known as high function. It was it was Asperger's. It would have been considered. It's changed now. It's called high functioning autistic. Um, And it's not. I'm not. Well, you've known me for long enough. I'm not. There's nothing kind of wrong with me. It's just some situations I deal with 
would be different. If, if I was waiting in a queue to buy a pasty in Greg's, mate, I'd be shitting myself. I'd be proper inside, panicking, worrying. It's horrible kind of feeling. Worrying about what? Just somebody talking to you? Yeah, or? Just, it's just the anxiety of it. Right. Have I got the right money? Is the woman going to talk to me? Do I have to answer back? Do yeah. I say something wrong? Um, you math, <coughs> excuse me, uh, autistic people mask. And that's what you've seen for most of the time is the fact that I put on this front. And so you've met DJ Tricks, but most of the time you've not met me. Yeah, mate. Mm. Sorry, just needed a drink. That's um, all right. So that's so it's helped me with some things. Um, I think it's helped you helped help you find answers as in, or oh, that's yeah. why I've been doing this or whatever. That's kind of yeah. yeah. There's certain things that, that you do. I kind of calculate things in my head differently than the majority of people. But you, you if, if, I always kind of look at when people say about autism and the spectrum. It's like to be honest with you, everybody is on there somewhere. Yeah. Everyone doesn't feel comfortable with some situation or whatever. And then obviously as it progresses, unfortunately you've got the poor people that kind of can't deal with an awful lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, some of these people are absolute geniuses at some things, but they can't tie the shoelaces. Uh-huh. And it's a hard one to explain. It's just, think about your, your head's just wired differently. And that's it really. So the way that you might think of something I'll I'll see it from a completely different angle. Yeah, um, but I mean, I think in many ways you'd need to look at it as a as a. I hate using a lot of words like a blessing and all that, but even just being that young guy designing his ultimate DJ setup, then to design the mixer, you know, it's probably because your brain was wired that way that you felt you needed to do that. No chasing money, no chasing, and, and just like. I would love it's the, to. It's the obsession of it. You yeah. get you get kind of stuck on something, and um, it, it is one of those things. If you, this is why I love gardening because I, I I get obsessed with it. You know, I'll I'll want to do things so it looks perfect in a garden and stuff like that, and that's that, it works for me. That is it a um, bit OCD in there as well, Mike? Do you think? Or, you know, like, I, no, no, I wouldn't say OCD. I just I just like. Um, like it to be right. right yeah so it's not OCD where I'm, I'm like oh my god obsessive with it I'm not yeah. not like that but, uh, I just I, I like getting I like doing a good job maybe get my drip whatever I'm doing yeah well even less it's took you long enough to kind of finally kind of get you get in the mood to sit doing it. I mean I don't know how long we've been talking about doing this kind of thing you know do you think that's part of it you're kind of going is it something I want to do or it, it, it was one one but, but, well, we, we kind of we get on, so I knew I could comfortably do this. There's been a few people have asked me to kind of have, have a chat and stuff like that, and I know that they would be all a bit show busy and mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And but I, I understand, I, I get you, and I feel comfortable. So I kind of thought it would be a good way to do this. And again, back to my children, not really. I mean, I, I talk to my daughter about all these stories because she's old enough for me to kind of explain some of them. Um, but my younger kids, kind of, I can't, <laughs> I can't, I can't tell them off the stories. <laughs> Don't tell them older. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of them, they, they, and a lot of it, they won't really understand. You know, they're yep. not really into uh, that kind of stuff, dancey stuff. So, um, but my daughter uh, just yeah, kind of so rolls her eyes because I'll go. You know, it's like almost like our generation invented the feel. Like oh, I remember text messages when it first started and all that, and they're just like, oh, here he goes. 
you know. But just yeah, like it, yeah, you mentioned yeah. to me, like the calculate um, digital watches come out, and I even thought, fuck, that's right. I remember that was my, you know, like a mind blower when that and all these oh, wee things with the red. Yeah, the red, red, red. red. <laughs> the silver, the silver watch with the red, the red display, and you're just going that. That was so future. It was. I don't even know how you could explain that to a kid now. No, I know, but like they show that show them a seven inch single. You know yeah. what I mean? They're just like, what? What, what are you what, doing what with that? This? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird CD or something. It's just, ah, it's mad, man. I think. But that's I, that, what you said. Like you said before about the that era of where technology exploded, and you kind of think how fast this has all gone. That the fact that we were playing records, CDs arrived, and now CDs are gone. Yep. No, uh, and you kind of go, what? How can a format of just come and go that quick? I know. And now we're we're onto another format, and it's, and, it's, and and some people would say we're listening to more music than than ever now. Which you listen to a lot of crap music. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think the, the one thing that, that that was really good about years ago was there's quite a financial commitment to putting music out. If you wanted to put a record out, I've shown. Funny enough, um, I've got a storage container, and in there was all was some of my old records. And I was showing my daughter the other day some acetates and test yep. pressings and stuff, and I was going to feel the weight of that. And she was like, "It's rock hard," and whatever. What is it? And I was like, "That's an acetate. That's a dub plate. You, you, you call it." Um, and even just getting them done, just to see what it sounded like on a record player, was was quite a, a, an expense. Yep. So whereas nowadays you just upload it and wait for your money, and here's your, here's your two peeper track that you sell on Beatport or whatever. It's it, there's so Insane. much stuff out there that's just crap that hasn't been filtered by the fact that somebody's thought, yeah, it's worth putting this out. Yep. It's just been put out. Um, so whereas years ago you'd be going through all these records and. There might be 60 or 70 records you go through now. You've got thousands getting uploaded every week. Was, and, and picking the track is just like never-ending minefield. A bit, bit more quality control because there was a bit more of an outlay to get it pressed yeah. up and all that. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. just to, to get to get to test presents, you're talking four or 500 quid, aren't you? Yeah, and then what was like 50, 100 quid to get an acetate made and all that, then that only lasted yeah. so many plays. Yeah, so, so you, you're talking all that money just to see if a record works and yeah. so yeah so the, the the way it is nowadays is great it means that you can everyone can get their music out but it also means you've got so much more stuff to wade through until you yeah. find those deep tracks I know I found that recently just scrolling through Beatport there you're just like how many because I think I'll, what I'll do is I'll I'll go through it all as many as I can and then now all I'll do is look at the new tracks each day and you kind of go but there's another 200 tracks been I know it's mental day. It's crazy. I mean, I it's it's and then then the shelf life for them all's no, you know, it's it's forgotten about the next day and all that kind of stuff. It's it's a great time, but a mad time as well. I think for music, for for being a DJ, for being an artist or whatever. I think it's an exciting time. And maybe to wrap it up, is there any sort of advice you would give to anybody trying to cut their teeth coming through as a DJ or music producer or whatever? Is there any kind of nugget of wisdom, <laughs> nugget of wisdom nugget apart of wisdom. from don't do it? Um, I would not think about the technical side of it as the important bit. It definitely isn't. It's about music. It's about playing the right music at the right time. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, although if you're learning to DJ, you obviously have to learn how to technically put it all together. Don't look at that as it's a bit like riding a bike. You know what I mean? You, you've got to be able to do that bit of it without thinking, but you're thinking about what the music is. Um, like I said before, you've got this amazing power of, of, wow, I'm going to play this next. So harnessing that is where, when you've, that's where the, that's where the, the artmanship is. It's, it's, it's knowing the music and knowing what will work. Uh, technically is by the by, you know, if, if yes, if you're doing a scratch mixing show, you've got to be technical, but even then, like I said before, it's, it's about exciting people with music. And that's, that's the, one of the DJs that worked in atmosphere was one of the warm up guys. He couldn't mix two of the same records together. His sets were absolutely amazing because he just played the tunes at the right time throughout the night. Yeah. And so, so it wasn't about this, I've done this with four decks and press these buttons and all the rest of it. It was, it's about, um, it was, it's about music. Yeah. Being passionate about mu the music you're playing as well, wasn't it? Yeah. You've got, you've all, you've got to look, you've got to learn to listen to music differently as well. And, and, and listen to the, the bits in that music, not just as a whole track. So, you know, if you're mixing one into the other or the combinations, then they've got to kind of match in some way or, enhance each other mm -hmm. so that's the bit when you learn your music and you kind of go oh that track will work well with that uh, in your head on the fly that's that's when you've kind of mastered it I would say yeah, yeah. well Mike DJ Tricks it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you mate I hope you've enjoyed it as well yeah 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 what time is it mate is it kind of it's that's a good few hours we've been talking no no I know I've got four lawns in the morning <laughs> <laughs> well listen you take care and uh, hopefully I'll twist your arm and you'll get up to Glasgow and do a wee set for us up here Facebook DJ Malorkily I've been up for four days I don't know what's right and wrong anymore oh, wow this stuff's incredible Excellent. podcast